0: Up next, it's the Ecology Hour. You've got Running on Empty with Patrick Henschel. Welcome, listeners to Running On Empty. I'm your host Patrick Henschel. Uh, pretty soon I want to get into the discussion that I'm planning on sharing with everybody tonight. It was a great one. Uh, very thought provocative. Um, so I'm excited to share it. But before I do that I want to go on a little mini rant. Um, I don't know how many of you know this, but I live in Wallala, and we have a commercial building in town. I'm part of a a broader community of folks that um, own and operate a commercial building in town. It's Pacific Coast Ayurveda at the top of town. Um, It used to be pizzas and cream. used to be the yellow building. Now it's the blue building. And outside of that building, we run a totally donation-based vegan bakery. If you ever want to stop by, please do so. Uh, sort of a plug for the bakery, um, borrowing a little bit of airtime for that, but I'm doing so because I think it is so important that everybody think about what types of transitions they can make in their own um, inner lives, their own day-to-day activities um, in the fight against climate change and ecological destruction. And I think switching to vegan pastries, um, if you're going to enjoy sweets, is a big one. So uh, definitely check it out. But that is not my rant. My rant is is actually um, having to do with our effort to put solar panels on the building. We want to be good citizens. We want to honor what we're told to do, which is to retrofit your building with solar. Or if you can't do that, opt into Evergreen, which is a service that uh, Sonoma Clean Power uh, makes available to guarantee that Basically 100% of the energy you draw from the grid comes from renewable sources, so definitely look at that if you do not want to put solar or for whatever reason financially aren't in a position to outfit your um, your building or your residence with solar. But with that said, even, even though we want to, we're trying to outfit it with solar, we're hitting roadblocks. Um, we've been told that this is something that needs to get assessed by the Coastal Commission, um, which could potentially be expensive to get a permit to do that and could delay the process immensely. And it just seems kind of absurd given that we're not actually adding any square footage at all. So I just, you know, why am I sharing this? Because I want to point out this absurdity in case anybody else has experienced. If you have, please write in. You can send me an email to runningonemptyshow at gmail.com. I'd love to talk to you about it. Um, it's something that I'm planning on reaching out to our board of supervisors about, namely Ted Williams. I think he knows this. This is part of the work of the uh, Mendocino Climate Action Advisory Council to make it easier for um, for renewable energy migration efforts to happen without being encumbered by regulatory burdens. But um, at the same time, you know, we got to let them know that it's going on so that they've got. Um, all of the—they know that they've got their community behind them uh, in their in their efforts to switch things. So I would definitely encourage you to reach out to them if you uh, if you've experienced anything like that, and certainly if you've if you want to reach out to me, um, definitely do so. I'd love to talk to you as well about it. Um, so with that said, I, I told you it was going to be a short rant. I actually really do want to get into the main portion of our show tonight. So allow me to introduce Jeannie Jackson, um, a local author and environmentalist from Wallala. Jeannie's well known in the community for her longstanding wildlife sightings column in the local newspaper, um, and for her, her really devoted, dedicated work as treasurer and spokesperson for Friends of Wallala River, uh, colloquially called Fogger. Stay tuned, you're listening to Running on Empty and you're about to get an interview uh, with Jeannie Jackson. Hi Jeannie, how are you today? Oh,
1: hi Patrick. I'm fine. It's nice to be with you.
0: <laughs> you as well. This is such a pleasure. Um, I've been excited to interview you, talk to you for a long time. Um, you're, <laughs> I don't need to tell you, you're super well-known in Wallala, uh, have been for years for all of your work um, with with uh, the ICO, uh, the Mendonoma Sightings column, as well as the work you do with Fogger, Friends of the Wallala River. So. Um, It's a pleasure for me to be able to speak with you today. Thank you for taking the time.
1: Thank you. Happy to.
0: Yeah. Maybe to get us started, could you tell us who is Jeannie Jackson, (laughs) really? And uh, who are the Friends of the Wallala River?
1: Well, Jeannie Jackson is a woman who loves nature and she loves sharing. And she and her husband, Richard, moved here uh, about 25 years ago from the Bay Area. They started their married life in Walnut Creek, got tired of the heat, And just longed to be here on the coast and made it a reality. And there was an elderly woman who lived a little south of us that still took a great deal of pleasure of seeing gray whales on their migration. And she would call me when she saw one headed north. And I would conversely call her when I saw one headed south. And it was it was the start of sightings. It was the start Mm -hmm. of sharing Mm -hmm. nature sightings. And so I thought to expand on that and contacted our local newspaper, the Independent Coast Observer, the publisher, Steve McLaughlin, yeah. to see if he might be interested in a weekly column where people send in their nature sightings. And uh, he agreed and I've been doing it for over 15 years now. And I've learned so much about nature and uh, all of the complexities yeah. of nature. So uh, it's been quite, quite a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. My
1: background, I have a strong financial uh, background. So I end up being treasure a friend of friends of the River, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I, I've written some books on our area and uh, really en- enjoyed this, this whole journey.
0: Yeah, amazing. And so then, in the column, um, you contribute. It's like a weekly column, right? And so, what do you do in the column? What is? And I know you have other contributors also, right? That help. All right. It, it's tool. really
1: it's it's a community place to share yeah. people's experiences with nature. And I, 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 when I started it, I another thing that I wanted to do other than to share nature and learn is, and also to support our newspaper, which I feel, feel so highly about, it's also something that brings us all together. Whether you live in the Sea Ranch or you live in Manchester, whether you're a Native American on, on a, a Pomo or you're a, a child, mm-hmm. um, it, it just breaks down every barrier, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You can yeah. all watch that sunset. You, yeah. you know, anybody can possibly have a bobcat sighting so it was a way to break down barriers and share the beauty of our of our coast
0: not only like connecting people from different backgrounds but also over over history right Right, i mean this is something that people have been engaged in for hundreds of years thousands of years just what do they see out in nature and it kind of fosters this deep connection that reminds us of really where we come from right it's right. it was like we know that intellectually but then sometimes it becomes easy to forget mm-hmm. when you're wrapped up in the hubbub of life and the sort of next deadline that right. you need to hit and it's, right. it becomes easy to forget um where we really come from and so i i think that your column promotes that it reminds us that we live in nature that we can't really detach ourselves from it
1: right What a a really interesting thing that was said to me by an ornithologist, because I wrote a book after uh, nine years of doing my column, I had this, and people send me photos, so I have this database of when, which month did did the first northbound gray whales be seen? (laughs) Uh, Which month did the earliest wildflower come up? So uh, my book is based on that data, and this ornithologist told me what you have here with your Mendonoma sightings book is a moment in time. And because uh, things are changing. We know that with climate change. Yep. Um, we used to have tundra swans coming down to the Garcia River uh, floodplains and they don't come this far south anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there are things that are documented. And I, I, loved, I loved his comment about it being a moment in time because we, we are in the midst of change and it's not always easy to see it when it's happening.
0: Right. Absolutely. And so... For the column, the column came before the book?
1: Yes. Oh, yes.
0: Okay. So the book is, would you say, is it like a compilation of some of the work that's come through the column?
1: Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so then how do you, how do you engage people in the column? So anybody, when they see something, mm-hmm. they can basically take, n- take note of it. Do they have a picture? Do they, how do they contribute to the column?
1: Well, they do it via email okay. most, mostly some people. Okay. there still are some people that don't uh, have computers and they send me it by a uh, uh, mail. It's not always with a photo, but it mostly is with a photo. I try to tell people this isn't a photo competition, because they'll say, right. well, my photo isn't good enough. And I said, it isn't It isn't about that. It's about what you saw I and mean, what you felt when you saw it. Yeah. So I love it when people take the time to explain how they felt about their sighting. And uh, so I get lots of pictures every day. I <laughs> I mean, we had huge waves yesterday. Wow. When you're uh, and Right, the, the
0: whole sandbar was completely covered.
1: Completely covered, right? right? Oh, and man, I, man. I had Gosh. four or five people send me just magnificent pictures of, of waves crashing, and rooster tails with the wind taking the top of the wave yeah, off. Yeah, and Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, really, it's just a fun way for people to share.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. so, so, so amazing. So that's Mendonoma Sightings. Um, fascinating way to engage the community and also to give yourself uh, an outlet uh, of expression, mm-hmm. right? That right. You, that allows you to share this wonder that you have for nature with others that echo it, I'm sure. That's right? exactly that's, that right. Seems right. Like that's, that's a pretty good situation, I would <laughs> say. But one of the unfortunate things, and you touched on this earlier when you mentioned climate change and the tundra swans, one of the most unfortunate things about all of this is that not all share this uh, love of nature and prioritization of nature. And the reality is is that there are bad actors out there uh, or at least actors that have interests that are maybe not in line with those of with others that are really wanting to see nature preserved and maintained for ourselves and for future generations and for its own intrinsic value this is the work of friends of the Walla River right they're right. they're engaged in protecting uh, some of the woodlands around here the floodplains all around Wallala. So could you tell us more about what Friends of Wallala River does and what your role is there? Sure.
1: Well, Friends of Wallala River has been around for several decades. It's a public interest nonprofit corporation. Um, Their mission, our mission is to protect the Wallala River and the creatures that call it home. So um, it's a totally volunteer organization. There's no paid staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when people donate, it's 100% going for the, the work. Um, much of the land around the river is is timberland and owned by timber interests, And so there is active logging going on and has for many, many, many decades. Yeah. And it's, it has severely impacted the river. I, I was just when get- you say
0: many decades, could you just provide a little context of what that means for, for well, sure. people like how what are we talking about a 100 years ago versus today well as i can tell you
1: that that the the trees that the timber interests want to log that we're so upset about yeah. in this timber harvest plan called dogwood yeah they are second growth and they're they're over a hundred years old okay so it was this area whole area here was logged in the 1870s they took every single old growth redwood mm-hmm. Uh, the only ones that they didn't take were a few trees that have a a twisty um, twisty to their uh, growth pattern. Yep. and uh, there's there's actually one on a neighboring property of ours, and it's just magnificent to see. So, so yes, they came through. They, it was easy to to take them all, and uh, so we're seeing the second growth, which are now becoming having the attributes of old growth, and so we 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 would like to 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 stop the floodplain logging. Um, that's really a, a passionate endeavor of Fogger. That's what we call ourselves, Fogger, F-O-G-R, Friends yep. of Wallala River. Yep. And we feel that the river needs this, its trees and its floodplain. They, they actually serve a, a, a lot of purposes for mm-hmm. the river. And uh, the river's problem, because of all the logging that's gone on for 100 years, are are really the sediment that gets deposited in the river because of the logging activities and the roads that they put in to be able to drag all of the trees out once they cut them. So decade after decade, they keep on cutting, they keep on cutting, and the river, it becomes more and more impaired. I was given some photos of the Wallala River about a hundred years ago, and it was so much broader. It was so much wider and and deeper than it is right now. So I don't know if, if we could wave a magic wand and stop all the logging. Give give the timber interest another way to go, like cap and trade, some way sure. to give them value for their investment, but leave the trees. I don't know how long it would take for the river to recover, but it would nice. It would be really nice to take that first step and see it on the road to recovery.
0: Yep. And so you touched on a few things, the sort of importance of these trees that are lost in the timber harvesting process, right? So I don't. I think anybody would know that these trees are important for sequestration, for maintaining carbon, um, uh, locking carbon out of the atmosphere and in trees, Uh, but also they play a role in the habitats. Exactly. Right? For all the the animals that you spot in Mendonoma sightings, Mm, uh, these animals depend on the type of habitats that these trees create. So could you speak a little bit about Mm -hmm. that?
1: Well, one of the things that the, the redwoods do, first of all, redwoods don't mind having their feet wet. Sure. So they grow, they can grow in the water. Okay. Um, and so they you find them in the floodplain. They actually shade the river. So they keep the temperature of the river at the right temperature for coho salmon and steelhead. <laughs> so just that alone is something that a redwood tree forest, the canopy keeps a river cool. If the river gets too hot, we lose the fish. Oh. Uh, the other thing that the, the redwoods do in the floodplain is they actually filter out sediment with their root system. So it, it plays a role in cleaning the river. So when, when the uh, river floods into its natural floodplain, and we're lucky here in Wallala, because we can watch it, we can see the river. Like the Russian River to our south, they have development in the floodplain. So they've got problems with buildings flooding when the river goes to its natural floodplain. Here, we don't have development in the, the floodplain of the Wallala, which is good, and we get to see that. So as the as the river floods, and it's bringing all this sediment down, because the first rainstorms, you see a lot of, of sediment in the water. And so these redwood trees are doing their job of cleaning the river when it floods. Wow. Yeah, Not to mention habitat, as you say. These are just keeping the river cool, cleaning the river.
0: Making it available for animals to basically Build their lives there. And Absolutely, there, right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It, you know, I get asked to speak when when it's not COVID times. I get sure, asked sure. to speak at, at the uh, schools, and and I oftentimes t- speak to the seventh grade science classes, and I'm telling them why they shouldn't drive in the Wallala River. That's kind of uh-huh. a passion of mine. I want to. Yeah. So I finally reached what really I think got to them, and I said, you know, that all these creatures that I've shown you here, yeah. whether it be fish, frogs, um, pond western pond turtles. This river is their home. How would you like it if someone in a four-wheel drive drove over your house and crushed it? That's what it's like for these animals. It's their home. And we don't have the right to destroy it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it seems so obvious when you say it that way, and in a way it is, but so then why is the question, right? Like what, we know the importance of the floodplain. We know the importance of the Wallala River. We know the majestic beauty that has existed here for you know tens of thousands of years and certainly we've known it in recent times as well but then you, you say that you talk about that and yet it's still harvested or there's still an attempt to harvest it so mm-hmm. can you talk about sp- more specifically now what like what are the attempts that are currently being made that are the focal point of fogger you talk about okay. the dog the dogwood timber harvest plan right. what does that look like what are they who's they, okay. we should we should be open about who they mm-hmm. is so people know because this isn't just something that's happening from disembodied actors out there in like space, the, the kind of evil corporations in quotation marks, This is these are actual people that have interests mm-hmm. and they run businesses, they run organizations and they think it's in their best interest to come in mm-hmm. and log the floodplain. And here other people are saying, no, this is not in the best interest of the community, it's not in the best interests of the surrounding ecosystems here it's a big problem Mm -hmm. and so you do have a dispute so who are the uh, entities Mm -hmm. at play here in this dynamic
1: well you mentioned the dogwood timber harvest plan that really was the um the doorway that i went through to be involved with fogger because i was so outraged when i heard about this dogwood thp is is the name that the timber company gave to this particular timber harvest plan Many of us locals call it the magical forest. Uh-huh. If you drove into the campground at Wallala Point, a regional park, and you parked just before you go into the campsites and then head east, that's the start of Dogwood, the, the boundary of the campground. And all along the river up five miles is the Dogwood timber harvest plan. So many generations have used this part of the river as a way to access the river whether you'd be a fisherman fisher person or a hiker um, or just want to you know enjoy the river that's the way you access the river so when locals found out about it there was a great outcry now there've been two entities that have owned this 30,000 acres in the watershed the first one was Walala Redwoods Inc mm-hmm. and the new one is Rila- Walala Redwoods Timber And the first one was owned by uh, Dr. Edmonds, And the second company, the one that owns it now, is Roger Birch. And I understand that Roger Birch has um, a lot of holdings of timberland all over California and perhaps elsewhere. He has a sawmill. So he has a business that he wants to keep going. Um, There are um, people who who are loggers who take trees down for their, their business. So all that has to be considered. But I think the problem, the problem ha- I have is in looking at redwood trees and seeing board feet. You know, to me, you don't, you don't, we don't build houses out of redwood anymore. Mm-hmm. They're built out of other wood. So what is this, what, what are you using these 100 year old trees that you cut down? What are you using them for? They're using them for decks and, and fencing. So when you when you think of a 100-year-old a redwood tree as decks and fencing, or like me and probably you, you look at it as something alive, yeah. that's growing, that's evolving, that has value to the river, and in and of itself,
0: intrinsic value. Intrinsic. It's not something you can put a dollar value on, really.
1: I guess. I guess if we could get the cap and trade, you know, where these people who are fortunate enough to have the, the monetary funds to buy these vast acres of timberlands. Sure, sure. um, and you recognize that these redwood trees are carbon sinks and have extreme value to us in the fight against climate change. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me uh, we, could, we could do it a better way. And I, I think it's going to take our legislature to change things. Sure, Because right now, um, it's really difficult to fight THPs.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, you know. Even wrapped up in the language of THP, when you when you conceive of it that way, timber harvest plan, right. it's such a it's such a distancing kind of speech. It's like when people talk about, you know, if you think about like meat consumption for example, and they talk about it as pork or beef mm-hmm. rather than pig or cow. Mm-hmm. We're calling it a timber harvest plan. We're not calling it the plan to cut down the forest. Right. You know, and so it's psychologically, I think it creates some distance. Well, and the
1: name, dogwood, dogwood, you know, Just on and on these, these names that they come up with, Yeah. names of trees and they're cutting down trees. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I I think you brought up a good point that is there there needs to be definitely a more sensible way to um, put a, put a dollar value on these natural resources because they do, they do serve um, obviously an economic function that's part of it mm-hmm. like it, it seems impractical or kind of naive to not at least acknowledge that that we live in a world where that's uh, part of what's going on right. but at the same time that has to be balanced and I would say encased in not just balanced as though it's like in opposition to but kind of encased in a broader consciousness around the value of these trees to ourselves and to our livelihoods and I think that that's that's sort of that's part of the work of Fogger is to inspire that level of wonder and the people that engage and volunteer with Fogger, right? And that you educate in the community. Absolutely. Like you said, you went to the seventh graders. If you can't, if you can't foster that sense of wonder, you're going to have a hard time.
1: I think what we're looking at is turning away from the old age of timber harvesting as an industry yeah. here, here, sure. and moving to eco green tourism. Okay. That's my personal thought. Okay. And there, Now we're talking about the egregious floodplain logging when we talk about the dogwood timber harvest plan. There are many other timber harvest plans that they're doing and have had approved and they are cutting trees and they are clear cutting in the Wallala watershed.
0: And you don't even talk about those when the floodplain is the focal point. Right. That's the trip, is right. that everything seems like it's just about the floodplain, but that's just one battle it is. In, a, in a huge war, <laughs> basically. It is, it is. So, that, so okay, that's, I mean, that's good for everybody to understand that now, this is Fog- already happening.
1: Fogger has um, a real role in educating yeah. uh, locals and visitors, and I, I think they're doing a good job and will continue to do a good job. They have a, a fairly new education and outreach committee And they're doing some really good things. Uh, Fogger has a great website, wallalariver.org. And I I urge people to check it out because there's videos on there. There's lots of fascinating articles and maps and and so on one of the things the committee's working on under the auspices of chris pullman Mm -hmm. they're making he's making a one of those tables that will show the contours of the oh really like 3d kind of virtual yes it would be once it's done and and we're able to fund it it'll be at the uh, Walla point regional park visitors center so it's a real fun project that we're sponsoring Yep. wow
0: okay so going back to the timber harvest plan i'm going to call it that because i don't have a better phrase for it right now yeah um the the the, the tree cutting down plan um what where do we stand with that where is fogger in relation to that where you know um, Rod roger birch yeah roger birch roger birch where right. where is the what's the state of things as of today
1: well i think the thing about the dogwood thp it was so controversial that the previous owner didn't push it he didn't mm-hmm. do it but as soon as roger birch bought the acreage that was the first timber harvest plan <laughs> that he submitted and we felt it was a real slap in the face of our community so fogger sued once cal fire approved it cal fire it's very hand in glove with the timber industry i'm mm. sorry to say yeah that's maybe probably a subject for another time i'd love to see um, logging be removed from the auspices of CAL FIRE and put into a some kind of organization that would would watch, would look out for the rivers and the, right. the watersheds.
0: Well, can we touch on it briefly now? When you say, uh, so CAL FIRE basically is in charge of reviewing these timber harvest plans, Correct. right? And there are some intrinsic problems with that. So tell us, what is the problem with CAL FIRE basically being primarily responsible for Uh, vetting these timber harvest plans when they're submitted.
1: I I don't think CAL Fire's ever met a timber harvest plan they don't like. (laughs) So, and it seems that many that are in CAL FIRE in this division are from the industry. Ah, we've
0: got the fox guarding the hen house Absolutely. It's really a shame.
1: With With as controversial and as egregious as dogwood is, and we had hundreds and hundreds of public comment from our area, we had protest. We had press, they still rubber stamped it. They still approved it. With no even though you're not supposed to log in the floodplain, it's you're supposed to it's supposed to be an exception. CAL FIRE grants it anyway.
0: That's like a regulation. That's yeah, in the books. It's no in logging the, in the floodplain. In the
1: forest practice rules. Yeah. So Fogger felt such um, angst over this that we decided we would sue. And this isn't something Fogger likes to do, but sure. we sure are in it right now because we have to protect the river. So we sued and won the first round. Okay, And then CAL FIRE goes through the whole process again, a whole nother application of the timber harvest plan. And we did our protest in writing again. CAL FIRE just disregards them. I, I don't even think they hardly read them and uh, they approved it for a second time. So we sued a second time, and we won.
0: A <laughs> so each time you sue and win, you hold them at bay, but it, it doesn't actually, there's no precedent that's set that, ac- that actually disallows no. them from,
1: from applying again. Uh, correct, and the, the other unfortunate thing is that each time the judge rules on a narrower and narrower items that we brought up, gotcha. so by the third time So CAL FIRE has approved it for a third time and Fogger takes it back to court. Um, We were down to cumulative impacts and alternatives. Alternatives Mm. are rather than bring a tractor in and dragging the logs, which used to be redwood trees that were alive, down these, these skid trails, perhaps you could do it by helicopter where you lift it out so you don't gouge the floodplain. And
0: unload sediment in more sediment into the exactly. river, or, right? Okay.
1: Exactly. So that's alternatives, and the judge ruled against us. We lost the third round. This was last year, so we, um, the end of last year, so we, and this we don't take this lightly because it's expensive and it's time-consuming, but we decided to appeal to the state board because we felt so strongly on both of those issues, especially cumulative impact, that they're not taking to, into account how each individual timber harvest plan, when you take them together, it creates just an unbelievable impact on the river and the floodplain. And So um, we have appealed it to a three member uh, panel, State Appeals Court. They have given us, Fogger, a temporary restraining order so there can be no logging until it's decided. So we are kind of in abeyance waiting for them to rule and it should happen probably by February of okay, 2021. Right.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, like uh, judge rules to, in, in the logger's favor, probably under the assumption of the belief that, you know, requiring them to remove trees by helicopter is to, is not economically viable for the industry, right, <laughs> that's like, but how do, do they stack that cost against the cumulative impact? on the forest and on all of the ecosystems that depend on it it seems like there's a tragic disconnect there for the reasons that you described that you have this this captured agency kind of at play which is is so sad because it's like even if you raise all of the rabble to to kind of uh, protest this it's they just keep doing what they're doing yep and so you've adapted a bit a new strategy on one of your other lawsuits, yeah, right? And right. so could you tell us about that the I think it's the Endangered Species Act lawsuit?
1: Yes, it's really quite quite a step for our little group. Yeah. Uh, our president is Charlie Ivor and he's a steelhead fisherman, catch and release fisherman, so he's very passionate about that with mm-hmm. the river. And he he was saying, you know, well, how can we protect these the fish and the other endangered species that we know live in or around the the river? He went and he, on his own initiative, contacted the Center for Biological Diversity. This is an international nonprofit that fights
2: all kinds of
1: environmental causes. And and they were interested in pairing with us, and so we have paired with them. They've come up with a certain amount of financial funds, and we, Fogger, has um, committed to raising $175,000 for the effort for the ESA suit, Endangered Species yep. Act suit. That's a huge amount of money, a huge amount of money for us. We just went over 100,000 in fundraising. We're getting unbelievable support from $5 donations, which touched my heart, Great. to a larger five figures. So um, this is a federal lawsuit, something that we could never imagine doing. <laughs> a, uh, an attorney firm in San Francisco, Gross Klein, mm-hmm has taken it on and is giving us an extremely discounted rate. I mean, if it wasn't for that, we'd probably have to raise over a million dollars for this suit. So we're really happy that Center for Biological Diversity has joined with us. I was in on a meeting with one of the co-founders when we were talking about it. And I asked him, his name is Peter Galvin, and I said, Peter, if we prevail on this, will it help other North Coast rivers? And he says, that's why I'm interested in doing it.
0: As a precedent.
1: As a precedent. You mentioned that word earlier, this no. is the suit that would create a precedent. Because a, anybody that is doing business like a timber company that might harm an endangered species, they need to take out an incidental take permit. <laughs> and in doing so, they have to jump through a lot of hoops showing that they're protecting these creatures. Right. So. Well, we've got a lot of wind this afternoon <laughs> one of
0: the uh, occupational hazards of COVID-19 <laughs> and having a conversation outside during COVID-19 is that we get a little bit of wind noise well, we've, okay.
1: we've got some rain coming in it's it, nice. yeah. <laughs> we'll
0: see if, if it starts raining on us too. so I,
1: I just jotted down the four um yeah. the four animals that we are suing the endangered species act on sure sure and it's the California red-legged frog okay the northern spotted owl uh-huh the Central California Coast coho salmon, and the Northern California steelhead. Mm. So those are the four animals that we are suing on. Uh, we believe that they have harmed them or will harm them with the dogwood and other floodplain logging.
0: And what's the timeline for this lawsuit? Yeah,
1: I, I, I asked the attorney that and it's, um, well, we'll see, how, there's a lot of hoops to go through. Sure, right now, sure. we filed the complaint in September. So it's public, um, in the public domain. Okay. Um, right now we are doing what's called discovery. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting, the, there's a scientist that will be studying the DNA in the river. Whoa. Yeah, it's totally Fascinating. just like Star Trek stuff. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's coming up um, in a week or so, and Charlie Ivor's going to be showing her various spots on the river. We know where the fish go to spawn, right. and that's in the North Fork and the little North Fork of the river. That's in Mendocino County. And um, they have three timber harvest plans they're trying to get through on those areas, and we're also very concerned about that.
0: Got it. Yep. So, it sounds like apart, I mean, apart from sending money, which it sounds like mm-hmm. would be beneficial for Fogger and all the work that you guys are doing, I can only imagine that every dollar counts in your efforts. What uh, advice do you give to people that are interested in this? How can they get involved? Because it is so frustrating, it is so angering when you hear this stuff, mm-hmm. when you hear about uh, woods that are just right nearby. It's just like something that they do movies about, but for people that live in our community, in our county, uh, Mendocino and Sonoma, this is like the real deal. It's happening right in our backyards. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of the... Um, Contributors to climate change, obviously. It's one of the contributors to biodiversity loss, um, all of these things. So what can people really do to actually get engaged on this topic?
1: Well, I, I think part of it's gonna to have to be a legislative mm-hmm. solution. Yep. So if you know um, your Congressman McGuire, he's our, our yep. Congressman here, our Assemblyman is uh, Wood. Jim Wood, right? Jim Wood. Jim is Wood our, um, and,
0: right. uh, is our assemblyman, and McGuire is, I think, our state senator, senator, right? Senator, yep, right. Yep. And, and then Jar- Congressman Huffman is our right. federal, but it seems like this is a mostly state. a state thing.
1: It's definitely a state okay. thing, and Jared Huffman, as, as you know, is interested in what we're trying to do yep. here and very um, supportive, as are McGuire and Wood. But I, think it, I really think it needs, we need push to change how the timber industry is regulated. Um so that's one thing. So if you're if you're if you know the workings of government, Fogger could certainly use you. Yep. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a push to get timber harvesting out of CAL FIRE so we have a more a reasonable regulatory agency. Overseeing like a different them. agency altogether. different agency.
0: Yeah. But maybe ones that reasonably have a background in some of this stuff. Yeah. Around. Right. It's like yeah. scientists That'd maybe be, that understand. Uh, an incredulous thought. Yeah, yeah
1: I know. So that it would be a divorce from CAL FIRE. Let's take the timber industry out of CAL FIRE. Um, Get involved with Fogger. We have a lot of different um, arenas where you can be involved. Um, I think what I'd love to see personally is I'd love to see us be able to acquire this land and Mm. protect it forever.
0: Wasn't that an option at one point in the process that there were buyers in play?
1: This is a real sadness to me. And and I'm really, uh, I don't know... Why the conservation groups were, didn't get the bid mm-hmm. when uh, Edmonds put it up for sale? He could have been a hero. He mm-hmm. could have been a real hero, but he he decided to sell it to Birch, and one of our local realtors—it's many parcels, you know. So when you sell it, you have to look at every single parcel that's sold. But uh, one of our realtors added up how much Birch paid for it, and it was. Um, 5 million less than the conservation groups offered. Oh my God! So I don't know, as hard, you can't really, we don't see the contract, so how can we compare it, but then maybe there's other things that we don't know about that financial motives, but we had a chance and it just, Sonoma Land Trust took the lead, yep. but there were others involved. And Sonoma Regional Park's very interested in acquiring, especially the land that Stogwood but on the other side of the river too, on their website they've had in their plan since the nineteen fifties a plan to acquire those lands for a river park. And it would just be with the millband acquisition that happened this year, the right. acreage a success. A success. Fortunately that's
0: for another a uh, uh, story for another time. That would but be a fun that one to success. do. Yeah, yeah
1: that yeah, was yeah. nice to be involved in that. Yeah. So um, they they stand willing and able, you know, to acquire yep. it. So but we don't have a willing seller. So if that could change, if there is some way, do you have a magic wand, Patrick? And, and um, I wish. Make Roger But I, I would have a statue of him put up.
0: Right, I know. That's the thing. He you could said be the it. Hero. He could be the hero, right, of the story and, yeah. and get all the money. I right. mean, I get it. Now, at this point, maybe he's, you know, in his ledger, he's seeing that he can make X dollars from uh, from harvesting the timber and it's more lucrative for him to do that than to sell. Ooh. Certainly, that wasn't the case for Edmonds because that you were talking about a. Uh, just a, a, a economic deal, right? A one-time right. sale wasn't going to, he wasn't going to be able to monetize it over time at that point. He was just looking to that, that's my understanding. offload it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy. It suggests that there's more at play here than cold, hard calculus. And you that there it. might be some sort of underlying emotional dynamics mm-hmm. going on and resentment plays. It's, it's sad to see that something yeah. like that can get in the way. And that, the, I mean, I guess the reality is, is that the, Folks that are doing that don't necessarily care that there's a cost to those dynamics, mm-hmm. but there are, there is, yeah. as we know. Yeah. So okay, so you, you're talking about legislative action, right? Um, so it's mostly to state level at this point, the idea would right. be to get uh, a different agency in play um, in charge of regulating uh, regulating timber harvesting, or at at that would be at best maybe like at worst dramatic reform of Cal Fire. Right we would say. Right. right? I would agree. Okay. Um, So how can we solicit our state senator, our assemblyman, just write letters, make phone calls, let them know that this is important, and then push them to basically put together legislation that can speak to this?
1: Absolutely. We just need to shine the light on it. Big spotlight. One of the letters that I wrote to Cal Fire, I think on the third iteration of Dogwood, I wrote, if you're trying to kill a river, you're doing a heck of a good job. Yeah. So it's, we have to speak out. Otherwise, we're going to lose something priceless. Right. Fogger is a good place to start. Yeah. The website's a good place to start. You yep. can, people can email me. Yep. Um, I'm very accessible. Okay. And. Um, if you want to see some of the beauty of the area, I have a website that I share a lot of the sightings good, good, good. photos on. At Mendo, Mendo for Mendocino. Yeah. Noma for Sonoma. So MendoNomaSightings.com. Okay. It's, I do a, a day, near daily um, email send out of beautiful photos. It's a privilege to share. Yep. And it's free and uh, anyone can, can access it.
0: And that's the name of your book too? Men- MendoNoma
1: sightings, M- sightings Throughout the
0: Year. MendoNoma Sightings Throughout the Year. So if anybody wants to pick that up. If they happen to be driving through Walla, they can pick it up at uh four-eyed four-eyed frog, frog, right? <laughs> Our you know, favorite bookstore. COVID rules permitting. <laughs> right, right. But certainly, I'm sure they could get it online too, yes, right, if they yeah. wanted to? Sure. Okay, cool. Jeannie, thank you. I think we covered a lot of ground here. Um, the work that you're doing is so important, and it is a microcosm. As we discussed earlier, it's a, it's a microcosm of bigger problems around the state i'm sure i'm sure these battles are being fought on other Mm -hmm. floodplains right in other counties so if you can win a um a precedent through the endangered species act lawsuit that would be just amazing it would
1: be huge it would be a big deal
0: and i I think it's so crucial that anybody that's a part of the wallala mendocino sonoma community knows that this is going on Mm Uh, it's right in our backyard again, it's not far away. We need to look no further and to get involved uh, and to put their strength behind you and the work that you're doing, I think would be very, very meaningful. Great. Um, so I guess I'll ask one more question to round this out. I, you've kind of alluded to it throughout the conversation, but why do you do the work that you do if you had to sum it up for us?
1: I would say that it is a great honor to speak for a river. And that's what I'm doing. I'm speaking up for the river, the Wallala River that I love.
0: Well, thank you for speaking up for the river.
1: You're welcome.
2: To the nomadic way of weaving through the damage
1: Mindful,
2: stay mindful Great spirit for my sisters Let me be a flowing river Flood the banks, the rocks that bind her Carry, I'll carry Great, great spirit Great Spirit Great Spirit for my brothers Let me be a mountain under Which he climbs to discover his process Now that's progress Great Spirit all that hinders Tie reminders to my fingers I must speak with you more often Mm, great before my relations give them strength to face racism in every single situation easy now go on speak loud great spirit take me instead guide me down the road of red and I am saying praying great Sun comes I... system collapse nothing but the earth will last and i'll be singing sweetly into the darkness now hark, there's great spirit on my tongue be still be still the time will come when everyone will sing all life is sacred while i'm waiting Great Spirit, my fist is up, bringing the power to the people, your reflection reverse. us. Some of your people can't hear it, the cries of the earth. Some of your people can't feel it, the way that it hurts, and it hurts. Great Spirit, and it moves, Great Spirit. Interconnected in the wreckage of a am on its way out, its way out. Speaking of spiritual, Call testimonies, spirited it resist, weaving around false privacy, spirit directed and selective with the message I bring. While the ship slowly sings, I've been directed to sing. I'm like a wrecking ball, breaking down the walls to the past the minimalist, living on this with the last of my cash. You're gonna be justified with how you treated the land, you're gonna be by my side when I stand in the behind the change. A
0: As you've heard in our discussion, the story of Fogger is like all social and environmental organizing work, bittersweet, inspiring to see the courage and commitment of a few clashing against entrenched and unjust systems, and simultaneously painfully frustrating to learn about all the long-standing structural absurdities that block reform and make it easier for a few already very wealthy individuals to make more money. It's the all too familiar story of regulatory capture. We saw it when President Trump appointed former ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, among a host of other examples in his cabinet. And we're seeing it now in real time as President-elect Joe Biden just appointed Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, for two terms under the Obama administration, now for a third term. How will Vilsack bring climate-oriented reforms to meat and dairy when, for the last four years, he's earned an annual salary of just under $1 million as head of the U.S. Dairy Export Council? Regulatory capture is business as usual for neoliberal Democrats and Republicans alike. With tonight's story, we need look no further than our own backyard. Who? Roger Birch and his Wallala Redwood Timber Company insisting on harvesting, and more accurately, cutting down second-growth redwoods in the ecologically vital Wallala River floodplain. This despite laws that explicitly protect floodplain territories from timber harvesting activities. This despite public outcry and multiple desist orders following years of lawsuits pr- brought by Friends of Wallala River. Why can this happen? Because Cal Fire the state agency tasked with scrutinizing and approving timber harvest plans, or THPs, is staffed with former foresters. Now, with all of that said, I don't think this is all about the money. Jeannie recounted how the former owner of this land, also a forester, had the opportunity to sell to a group of conservation buyers for $5 million more than the final price he accepted with birch. Of course, there may be more to this story, But on the surface it highlights that this conflict is as much about safeguarding ideology as it is protecting personal economic interests. What's crazy to me is that Roger Birch can dictate what happens to this centuries-old stretch of forest without even living in Wallala and calling this place home, not to mention without support from the local community. The last thing I'll share before we finish tonight's program is a useful perspective from philosopher of economics Elizabeth Anderson. She emphasizes, That there's really no such thing as regulation per se, only a question of who the social and economic arrangements benefit the most. In this case, they're not benefiting the forest or anybody that wants to safeguard dwindling biodiversity. I do believe there's a place for markets in driving higher living standards and innovative solutions to society's problems, but stripping rich ecosystems for decks and fencing is not it. I want to close the show with something a little bit unconventional. I haven't done this in any of our previous ones. Um, you know, all this discussion about Fogger and their work protecting the river, I think it always it inspires me to personally self-reflect on what I'm doing in my life to fight for something that I care about, to make the changes necessary to bring about a better world, right? It's one thing to hear about these things, read about them in the news, and then say, oh, great, I'm glad that someone else is working on this few. It's another thing to hear it as a clarion call, um, one that inspires personal change and action. And when I think about Fogger and I think about the, um, (laughs) the magical forest, as it's called, Uh, lovingly uh, dogwood as it's called formally uh, and in the courts but the magical forest as it's called um, by the citizens of the town that know it Um, i think about how much there is to protect and how much life really can be about protecting something um, all things and standing up for what's right standing up for what we care about spending our days and our energy committed to something greater something beyond what's just right in front of our nose, this sort of immediate day-to-day grind. And I know it's hard with COVID-19 right now. Everybody sort of lives in a different situation. Some people are struggling to make ends meet, and I have the utmost empathy um, for those individuals. I I can only imagine. I personally am very fortunate um, not to have been you know, beset by those serious challenges. I'm I'm very, I'm very fortunate. And I know that other people, this is just one of the most trying times they've ever experienced in their lives. And so to me, it's all the more important that we use this as an opportunity to really reflect on who we are, what we stand for. Um, And so there's a, there's a poet that is so dear to my heart. His name is Khalil Gibran. Uh, Many of you probably know a book that he wrote uh, way back, back in, I think, the 1920s called The Prophet. Um, And others of you may know that he has a whole anthology of works that go well beyond that. And there's one poem in particular that I always go back to that reminds me to really cherish life in all of its fullness. You know, we learned in the discussion earlier from Jeannie that, uh, that really her, her book, Mendonoma Sightings, is just a snapshot in time, and that the, the natural world around us is in a continual state of trans- transformation. Um, and so what we have today, hopefully tomorrow will be even richer, even better, um, but there is a good chance that it won't be um, if we carry on down the road that we're on. And so, are we living life to the fullest? And this poem is a constant reminder for me to uh, bring that consideration into my own life. And I want to share it with you. So, I'm going to read the poem. uh, And if this inspires you or you enjoy it, please write in. Again, you know, the email is runningoneptyshow at gmail.com. Or if you just want to enjoy it quietly, privately, that's fine. Um, Let it affect you however it affects you. So the poem goes like this. It's from Khalil Gibran. It's called Do Not Love Half Lovers. Do not love half lovers. Do not entertain half friends. Do not indulge in works of the half talented. Do not live half a life. And do not die half a death. If you choose silence, then be silent. When you speak, do so until you are finished. Do not silence yourself to say something and do not speak to be silent. If you accept, then express it bluntly. Do not mask it. If you refuse, then be clear about it. For an ambiguous refusal is but a weak acceptance. Do not accept half a solution. Do not believe half-truths. Do not dream half a dream. Do not fantasize about half-hopes. Half a drink will not quench your thirst. Half a meal will not satiate your hunger. Half the way will get you nowhere half an idea will bear you no results your other half is not the one you love it is you and another time yet in the same space it is you when you are not half a life is a life you didn't live a word you have not said a smile you postponed a love you have not had a friendship you did not know to reach and not arrive work and not work attend only to be absent What makes you a stranger to them closest to you and they strangers to you? The half is a mere moment of inability, but you are able, for you are not half a being. You are a whole that exists to live a life, not half a life. If you enjoyed tonight's show and want to support Fogger, please email me, Patrick Henschel, at runningonemptyshow at gmail.com or you can email Fogger directly at info at wallalariver.org. Thanks so much, listeners. Until next time.